my job on this expedition to try and find any evidence, dead or alive, to the existence of this. Welcome to Fort Weird. My name is Heather, and unfortunately, Taryn had to work today, so I am joined today instead by my sister. Can I introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Virginia, and I will be joining Heather today to tell you a interesting, excuse me, an interesting story about something that happened to me a few years back. Yeah. Um, today we are going to be talking about Paris Island. Why are we talking about Paris Island? Because I'm a Marine, and that's where I went to boot camp, and I had uh, something happen to me while I was going to boot camp there. Yes, it's it's going to be great. So I got some history about Paris Island. We're going to go through that. Just to, you know, I like to put the history in um, because it kind of adds a little more to the story. I agree. All right. And I apologize if we sound alike. A lot of people say we sound alike. <laughs> yeah, we work together. We hear that on the phone all the time. You guys sound so much alike. I think I'm a little more bubbly, so I think you'll be able to discern us. Yes. <laughs> all right. Okay, so Paris Island is a recruit depot for the U.S. Marine Corps. Basically, Marines get trained mm-hmm. there. Um, I read that men living on the east of the Mississippi get sent there, and all females. And all females, yes. All females. Actually, uh, interesting fact, Indiana recruits go to the West Coast. Um, there's a couple of states on east of the Mississippi because there's such a large population over here that they do send some of the recruits from the East Coast to the West Coast, and Indiana is one of those lucky states. You know what? I knew that because of my friend in high school went yes. to the Marines and he went to San Diego. Yep. That's right. I did know that. I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. Yeah. All right. So Paris Island sits on about 8,000 acres. That's a lot of land. Yes, it is. And I think I marched every one of those acres when oh, I went to boot camp. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I just, I, when I saw that, I was like, whoa, 8,000 acres? I mean, mom and dad live on, what, two? Four. Four acres? Yeah. Jeez, 8,000 acres. That's a lot of land. All right. So Paris Island is in South Carolina uh, nowadays. Uh, back in about 1562, it was first settled by the French. They built an outpost called Charlesport there, um, and they left a small garrison so they could go back to France and gather more settlers and supplies and stuff. But it was taking too long, so they mutinied and left Charlesport abandoned. And it only took, like, a couple of years for them to mutiny. Then the second came the Spanish. They decided to settle it in, in 1566. They called it Santa Elena. But... And that actually was the um, uh, capital of La Florida for the longest time. But eventually it also was abandoned uh, by 1587. And then no one lived there. It's probably because of the sand fleas and mosquitoes. (laughs) Yeah, big big bugs. Yes, lots of them. So, uh, yeah, well, it's a very swampy area. It well. is. Uh, it's actually that area of South Carolina is called the Low Country. It's very swampy. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into that a little later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. So it was left abandoned for a really long time until about the mid-17th century. 
when the English took over. Uh, the land was bought by Colonel Alexander Paris. Uh-huh, that's where we got the name Paris mm-hmm. Island. Uh, so between 1715 and 1720, there were uh, lots of plantations. They first dealt in indigo, which I'm honestly... What is indigo? It's like a flower. They used it to make blue dye. Okay. All right. I feel like I should have known that, and I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then they switched to cotton. So it was about five years where they did some plantation work. Uh, Then the Civil War hit. Then the island after the Civil War, it became a coaling station for the Navy. But it didn't become what it is today until 1915. And in 1915, that's when... It became the recruiting depot, and Marines were sent there to be trained. That's where we are up till this incident that we're going to talk about. We're talking about the Ribbon Creek Incident. You going to tell the official story first or the unofficial story? I'm going to tell a story that I saw online, mostly. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to go with that, and then you can come on and then say anything that maybe was wrong. Or what I heard. Or what you heard. heard. Yes, what you heard. (laughs) This happened on April 8th in 1956. Uh, Approximately around 8 p.m., Staff Sergeant Matthew McKean. Sounds right. McKean, yeah. That's what it looks like. M-C-K-E-O-N. He was a veteran of World War I and the Korean War. Probably World War II in there as well. That's what I meant. Did I say World War II? You said World War One. I. I meant World War Two. Yeah, not that, World that War makes I. more sense. Sorry, World War Two and the Korean War. Ah, this is me. So really, I'm, gonna, I'm not really going to edit most of this guy. <laughs> Really old. Okay, so between nine and nine twenty, he decided to uh, to take his platoon that he was in charge of out on a. A, a, a march, an a evening like, march. Like a night hike. Yeah, a night hike through the marshes, which, from what I read, was not entirely unheard of. A lot of other sergeants, I don't know. Who, drill instructors. Yeah, drill instructors. A lot of them also took them out and, and did evening hikes. Yeah, night hikes. So it wasn't that unheard of to do. Unfortunately, the recruits went out and, and he said, let's go into the marshes. And they all jumped in. They started messing around a little bit at first because, you know, have some fun in some water, I guess. I don't know. Probably not so much fun as in he just wanted them to crawl around in the mud because fun is not to be had during recruit training. Okay. (laughs) Well, well, they jumped in um, and and they broke ranks. And unfortunately, at this time, what what, what happened was uh, the tide was rather high. At the moment of, of that time. From what I heard, the tide was lower, but it was coming in. Okay. What happened was, in in the low country down there, the tides come in and out on the river. Um, so the marshes, at times, they'll be low, so it's just mud and nothing else. However, this mud is extremely sticky. You get stuck in that crap, and it's it takes a while to get out of it. So... They pro- it was probably lower coming in at that point, mm-hmm. and then it came in fully, unfortunately. Yes. Well, because of that, uh, six recruits lost their lives. And I have all their names here. I can go through them. It was Thomas Curtis Hardman, Private Thomas Curtis Hardman, Private First Class Donald Francis O'Shea, 
Private Charles Francis Riley, Private Jerry Lamont Thomas, Private Leroy Thompson, and Private Norman Alfred Wood. I did get to look at all of their uh, death certificates, and every last one of them said uh, drowned while... In service? Yes, drowned in service, sure. (laughs) I can't speak today. This is is great. I didn't get much sleep last night. (laughs) Unfortunately, six of the recruits lost their lives. Um, I never saw a number out of how many were in the platoon, uh, how how many people are normally in a platoon? I mean, in my platoon, women and men's platoons are different sizes. Back then, though, I think that was when they were starting to train for Vietnam. Yes. So they may have been a little higher, maybe 50 or 60, okay, maybe so that high. That, six of them it may have been down to, you know, as low as 30, though. Yeah. So I, I'm just not sure how many kids were in platoons back then. It's it's really sad that even six of them have lost their lives. But I've also read that that's not the only time anyone has ever been killed at Paris Island. Um, there was a few other times, but I'll, I'll get into that later. Um, so the, it went to trial. And he, he was found to, I guess, have been under the influence. Yes, that's what I've always heard, that he had been drinking that evening, yes. which is also a big no-no. He no. shouldn't be doing that no. while training recruits obviously what i had read was that he had he didn't have any drinks in the evening he drank in the afternoon um he had one or two beers but then he didn't have anything later and even the um doctor who did a physical on him or or said that he was also not under the influence which is possible or it's possible that they were trying to cover something up which again, you know, yeah, you never, happens in the military. It does, you know, if he was a respected drill instructor, it's very possible that they just kind of fudged it. But I always have heard that he had been drinking and he had been drinking when he took them out and he was under the influence when eh, the incident happens. Well, this incident led to uh, a lot of public scrutiny. It was in the Rightfully newspapers. So. Yes. But that wasn't the only time something like this ever happened so i'm always wondering like why did this one get so much publicity whereas the other times it didn't vietnam maybe Maybe. i mean we were in a very unpopular war at the time so it's possible they were just trying to scrutinize everything that was being done um that is very true it could be the start of media actually having a large presence may have been part of it too (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um, so he was found guilty. He wasn't discharged, though. They got him a lesser sentence than what was suggested. Um, so he was um, knocked down to private. Yeah. I bet he wishes he just got <laughs> yeah, kicked out. He got knocked down to <laughs> private and uh, obviously lost his position as a drill instructor. And because uh, they were they were going to give him like a lot more than just that. Like they were going to... Um, strip him of, you know, getting back down to private. They were going to discharge him. They were going to fine him, what, 270 bucks, which... Was probably a lot back probably then. Probably a lot back then. Not, not so much now. Um, and they were going to sentence him to, like, 10 months of hard labor. But he didn't get all any of that. He got knocked down to private and basically lost his job. Well, yeah, could have been worse. It definitely could have been worse. You you killed six people. We'll just knock you back down to private. Yeah, you know, whatever. (laughs) 
Um, but I just, I did. I thought it was interesting that even the doctor said that he wasn't... Inebriated. Yeah, he wasn't inebriated. Which, as you said, it's kind of like... Well, that and how long after did the doctor examine him after this incident took place? That's true. I mean, if it was a few hours later, yeah, maybe he wasn't so drunk then. Oh, well, maybe. I, and, and I don't know. And I think, you know, watching six people die in front of your eyes might sober you up a little bit. All the other guys... Um, there was several, not several, there was a couple of books written about the Ribbon Creek incident. I didn't get to read them, but I did read some um, excerpts from it. And uh, a lot of the guys in the platoon and even some some of the recruits from before them spoke very highly of. And of I mean, Ricky. most of them do. I mean, when you're a recruit, your drill instructors are they're basically God to you. I mean, they can't do any wrong. Uh, most recruits respect their drill instructors quite a bit. I mean, I still respect my drill instructors quite a bit, even the ones that, you know, I thought were not so nice, but <laughs> that was their job. But yes, I respected them highly. I mean, you just, you do as a recruit. Yeah. It's just the way it is. I guess that makes sense. So, I mean, respect is just kind of drilled in you. I'm sure it was just an unfortunate incident that had a lot of bad things happen all at once you know, to cause it to happen. I doubt he went out there maliciously, you know, going, okay, y'all, we're going to march through the woods. You better hope that you live. Well, again, isn't that, I feel like that's a good thing to do for recruits anyways, is to go marching through the marshes, especially when you're going to be going into the Vietnam, because that's basically what Vietnam is. It was swamps everywhere. (laughs) I think that would be a great thing to train for. Yeah, good initiative, bad judgment. That's what we like to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also, like, these guys, I mean, I guess they knew what they signed up for. It's going to be a dangerous job. Yeah, but you don't expect to die during recruit training either. No, I guess that's true. Which I I don't obviously condone what he did. It's just. Well, there's a lot of changes that came forth. I mean, recruit training now is so structured. Like, we do night marches, but it's like, built into the training like you know at this phase in training you're going to be doing this mm-hmm. um everything is very structured nowadays drill instructors don't really have the opportunity to be like hey we're going to do a little bit of extra training because you know your recruits are in the rack from this time to this time you can't do anything over and above you know this is how it is mm-hmm. that's just just the way it is nowadays I mean, that's what i read this one incident changed a lot of what um what they do now mm-hmm. in, in training, which was you know, it's pretty cool. Um, so what? So now we're going to get to the good stuff, guys. <laughs> All right, Missy, what happened to you? Okay, so the Ribbon Creek incident, the barracks that used to be set up um, are now used as the barracks that you stay at when you go to the rifle range. Back then, it was just the barracks that all the recruits stayed in. Um, now they have different battalions set up, um, different places on the islands. But during, during the rifle range, you go over there, you stay in those barracks. Now, and I didn't know this until after the fact, but near the end of recruit training, you can have little more heart to hearts with your drill instructors. And one night, one of the girls just asked like, Hey, has anybody else ever seen or heard anything while staying at those barracks? And that's when we heard the story of the Ribbon Creek incident. And it wasn't just me. It was quite a few girls who saw and heard things while we were there. Um, Toilets flushing by themselves. 
uh, the sinks would turn on by themselves. You would hear voices sometimes. And what happened to me was um, every night you have a couple different girls that have to stand duty. Um, you do it two at a time. It was me and another girl standing duty. It was, it was like the middle of the night duty that nobody likes because, you know, you wake up and then you get to sleep for another two hours before you have to get up for the day. But it was, it was like the two to four duty or something. So one of the girls was sitting down at the end of the hall. And it's kind of hard to explain. When, you're, when you walk in through the front door, you can see all the way through to the back door. But in that, there is a bathroom on the right-hand side. And there is the, it was like a room that they put the irons and stuff in on the left-hand side. But you had to walk in. There was two doors for the bathroom. Um, one that went in from the main squad bay and then horseshoot around to the room where the, the ironing stuff was. So I was on duty one night and I heard a toilet flush. This is the first time I had stood duty at that at that barracks. Um, I hadn't seen any girls get up. So I thought, okay, that's a little bit weird, um, but there's probably someone in the head. So I was just standing there waiting for him to come back out and I heard the toilet flush again. So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna go investigate this. So I walk in there and there's nobody in there. So I come in through the one part of the door and I go out to the other part of the door where the ironing stuff was. I looked down at the end of the hallway to the other duty and she was just sitting there at the desk. I looked over towards the back door and I saw a figure of a man standing at the back door. <laughs> it scared the ever living crap out of me. I jumped, I turned to look at the other duty again to see if I could get her attention. And when I looked back, there was nobody standing there. It absolutely freaked me out. I uh, walked back down to the end of the hallway and I was, I asked her, I was like, did you see anybody standing at the end of the hallway just now? And she went, no, I just saw you walking towards me. So I guess I was the only one who saw that. But uh, like I said, at the end of recruit training, there were some girls who said that they also saw shadows heard voices uh, obviously the sinks and the toilets were the main thing like almost everybody said the sinks and the toilets went off which you know it could just be it's an old building the water pressure whatever but I like mm -hmm. to think that it was it was something I mean can water pressure really make a toilet flush I don't know I've heard <laughs> that it can <laughs> lots of people are like oh it's just the water pressure making what? I don't know but yeah the the water I don't know the toilet flushing and the sinks turning on happens almost nightly while we were there we were there for about two weeks during rifle range oh, man. but yeah that's that is what happened to me um, it has happened to other people. I talk, have talked to other Marines, um, not just females, other male Marines who said they also had odd things happen to them while staying in that barracks. So it's kind of like, it's just, it's just something that, you know, goes on there. All the drill instructors know it goes on. Wow. Yeah, it's just something interesting. So it's probably safe to say that, that barracks, that's probably the place where. That's what I'm guessing. stayed. Most likely. Because I forgot to say that. That was no. 1371. <laughs> I saw that on there. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it, it really was. Now, I got to ask, before I say this other little story, have you ever seen anything uh, where the pool is? No, I heard that the pool was haunted. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, when you go to 
the pool, it's just a couple days. You're there during the day just doing your thing and really nothing, nothing else. Okay. Do you know the story about what I happened at the pool? I do know what happened at the pool. Okay. Do you want to tell her? You go ahead because you have it written down over there. I and... actually don't. I just memorized oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, you because t- you've heard it recently, more recently than I have. So uh, This happened in, in the 90s. I don't remember if um, it was like 94. I actually have met somebody who worked at the pool and that happens. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you tell the story first. Okay. So yeah, this happened in the 90s. Again, don't know if it was 94 or 97. It was, it was mid-90s. Mid-90s, yeah. yeah. A drill instructor shot and killed himself in front of six recruits while in the pool area. They were going in there to to just, you know, do some training. I don't know why there were only six recruits. Uh, they may have been doing training to go up to a higher swim level. Okay. Um, you go, you do the lowest swim level, and then as a group, you can do a higher swim level, and then people can test higher if they want. Okay. Right. Uh, or further, if they have a job that requires it, they make them do it. Okay. They were up in the pool area, and uh, he just he shot and killed himself right there in front of them, and it's like, what do you do at that point? Yeah, it messed some people up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like just. Watching someone that is supposed to be your teacher, I mean, you're, you're gonna, you're looking Mm -hmm. up to this person, and they just go ahead and just shoot themselves in front of you. Yeah. Like, what in the world would possess this guy to shoot himself in front of people? I mean, I've heard stories, like, his wife was cheating on him. I don't know how true that is, but... I mean, unfortunately, suicide's a big deal in the military. It is, it's, and I read that as well. Yeah, 20, but, 22 a day. Yeah, it's it's sad. And I did. I read a lot of, um, around that time when that happened, they did a, a study as well about mm-hmm. how many people in the military actually do commit suicide. And it was a very high number. And it's... I know they always say it's 22 a day. Some people have said it's higher. Some people have said it's not that high. I, I, ten, I mean, 22 is a pretty decent average. It is. And, and again, uh, probably a lot of them are kept under wraps more as well. Not as much anymore as no. they used to be. Uh, yeah, when they used to. It was just, it's, it was, that one was just a very public suicide. Yeah. So because of something like that, you always hear a lot of suicides, I feel like, always come back. They come back as ghosts because it was very traumatic mm-hmm. and there was a lot of feeling. So obviously something probably lingers. Yes. So... I, I would I would think that the pool is haunted. I really would like to hear some stories about. Yeah, honestly, I never heard much about the pool um, being haunted while I was there. It was more the barracks over it at the rifle, rifle range. range. Mm-hmm. But that's probably because it was the most yeah obvious one, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, I did try to dig a little deeper and how many other even recruits or drill instructors have died at Paris Island. And honestly, there's not much to be found. Uh, other than this Ribbon Creek incident, the thing at the pool, um, I did read a story about someone getting shot on accident. The gun was supposed to be loaded with blanks, but and so someone shot and the first one was blank. The second one was not. That's why you never point a weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot. Yes. Unfortunately, the man that got shot was killed. But it didn't specify whether this happened at Paris Island or if it happened at San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. I won't say the Anchorman line because this is a family program. It's not. It's okay. Fine. So uh, 
I'm, I'm not entirely sure where that happened. It didn't say when I, what I read. So it could have been Paris Island. It could have been San Diego. I'm not sure. Either way, again, that incident also was um, looked at and changed a lot of things as well. So I know it happens. So that, that's that's really cool. Um, it would be really awesome if they let people go into those barracks and do some ghost hunting. It would. I always thought it would be really neat. But, you know, the military, they don't like to bring attention to stuff like that. Oh, man, I don't know why. I, don't I actually, so. unfortunately, heard they may be ripping those barracks down. Oh, no. Which I think they want to build newer, more up-to-date barracks, you know, cost-efficient and whatever for that. I would be sad because that's a piece of history that would be being oh. torn down, but I'm not sure when in the works that might be, if they're even going to do it anymore. Oh, gosh darn it. Yeah, see, the middle one pe- people may not even have a chance. No. All right. Well, we have reached the end of our podcast. I want to thank you, Missy, for coming on. No, it was fun. I'd love to come back eventually. Absolutely. And we'll definitely have you back on here. Uh, Next time we'll be back with Taryn. She will be here. Uh, Join us next week and uh, we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. The existence of this 